to another episode of Morbidly Captivating. I'm Cassie. And I'm Andrea. That was, that was great. <laughs> great impersonation of me. <laughs> felt like it felt sexual or something. <laughs> a little bit, a little bit um, sensual, yes. I don't have your... Better than mine, I good think. radio voice. <laughs> Alright, what's up, guys? So... I don't know if you guys know, but each story we do is chosen by one person. Like, Andrea picked Amy Boyer, and a mysterious entity, Andrea calls her friend Jeanette, picked Odell Jones. So... imaginary friend. (laughs) Yeah, okay. Um, (laughs) Thanks. We're not going to talk about that. It's whatever. So this is my story, and I call it All About Lobotomies with Cassie and Andrea. Ooh, brains! (laughs) I wanted to do an episode on lobotomies because sometimes I just like to turn off the true crime, but I always want to remain somewhat disturbed at all times. That's a goal to achieve. (laughs) So if you... So if you all like this type of content, maybe we'll continue to do some non-true crime episodes, but still morbid episodes from time to time. And if you hate it, then I'll be annoyed, but I'll understand. So, so, um, how many times can I say so? About Let's put 14 up a counter. so far. We're going <laughs> to put a counter in the, we don't have video. What are we? <laughs> anyway, I became intrigued with lobotomies from watching TV shows and movies. One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest is one of my favorite movies of all time. I love Jack Nicholson so much, and it involves a lobotomy. Maybe I should say spoiler alert with that, but it came out in 1975. Pretty sure you've had time to watch it. I just knew you were going to say so. <laughs> right there. 48. <laughs> just kidding. Uh, the show Ratched on Netflix is based on Nur- Nurse Ratched from One, of- one Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest, bunch of lobotomies in that one and i'm not even done with the show yet um another movie is shutter island i'm sure there's more andrea can you think of any shows or movies Um, with lobotomies or people who have lobotomies people with nancy grace (laughs) (laughs) sorry yeah that's a good one yeah yeah. you know sorry not sorry the lobotomy was invented by Portuguese neurologist Antonio Igas Moniz. Ooh, that, was, that. that was good. No, that was great. <laughs> in 1935. The not necessarily achieved but intended purpose of the lobotomy was to treat mental illness such as schizophrenia, manic depression, and bipolar disorder. Moniz wasn't the first to have the idea of scrambling up their brain for the sake of mental health, though. In the 1880s, a Swedish doctor, last name Burkhardt, first name too Swedish to pronounce, actually removed parts of the cortex of the brain. This was supposed to make patients with hallucinations for schizophrenia calm. One of his patients died and another committed suicide, which, depending on how many patients he had, doesn't sound too bad for 1880s brain surgery. Uh, Unless they only had two patients. Good point. (laughs) So... I said it again. Uh, <laughs> 49. Not really. Wow, there are two types of lobotomies you can have done. Uh, the first one is the prefrontal lobotomy, where they drill holes in the side of the head to get to the frontal lobe, sometimes on the sides, sometimes from the top. 
Uh, side note, I took anatomy in high school, and the only thing I learned were the lobes of the brain, and I still remember them to this day. I didn't really think I would ever actually need to use this information in my life, but here I am. Thank you, Mr. Webb. <laughs> the second type of lobotomy is the transorbital lobotomy, where they go to the front, where they get to the frontal lobe by the way of the eye socket. They go between the eyelid and your eye with an ice pick, and they just tap, tap, tap it in like Happy Gilmore. So, get a good visual of that. The eye socket technique was invented by Dr. Walter Freeman, who said it was a new and improved way because it didn't leave scars, took less than 10 minutes, and could be done outside of the operating room. Only problem was black eyes. Wait, wait. Outside of the operating room? Yeah. That doesn't sound very safe. Yeah, apparently you could just go for a doctor's appointment and get your brain touched. Uh, Wasn't a big deal. Yeah, sounds great. <laughs> so, there's my number one. <laughs> so now we're going to talk about some good and bad experiences with lobotomies. Believe it or not, but sometimes people experienced positive outcomes. Or so they claim. I'm not trying to discredit them or anything, but I feel like the truth can easily be bent when it comes to something like this. Yeah. Like, like look, she's fine. Look of at her. Of course. <laughs> totally normal. Uh, <laughs> drooling at the mouth. Yeah. I actually want to make it clear. We aren't completely anti-lobotomy. Well, we may be anti-lobotomy, but we aren't anti-brain surgery to fix mental illness or other diseases. You do what you have to do to feel better, you know. Uh, I know people get brain surgery for OCD, pain, Tourette's, and other good diseases. Good diseases. Other <laughs> Bad diseases, diseases. With good results. I know it can be hell to suffer with mental health issues, so you just got to do what you got to do. Freeman performed his first transorbital lobotomy at his Washington, D.C. office on January 17, 1946. His patient was a housewife named Ellen. Her daughter, Angeline, was there that day. This is what Angeline had to say about her mother. She was absolutely, violently suicidal beforehand. After the transorbital lobotomy, there was nothing. It stopped immediately. It was just peace. I don't know how to explain it to you. It was like turning a coin over. That quick. So whatever he did, he did something right. Ellen, who was 88 at the time of the interview, said he was just a great man. That's all I can say about Dr. Freeman. Ellen's daughter goes on to say, As a child, you can see into people's souls. And he was good. At least then, I don't know what happened after that. I wish he hadn't gotten so quite out of hand. By 1949, people were having lobotomies all around the country. There were some very unpleasant results, very tragic results, and some excellent results, and a lot in between, says Dr. Elliot Valenstein, who wrote Great and Desperate Cures, a book about the history of lobotomies. I'm going to say emphasis on the desperate mm -hmm. there. Yeah. Um, there was no other way of treating people who were seriously mentally ill, he says. The drugs weren't introduced until the mid-50s in the U.S., and psychiatric institutions were overcrowded at best. Patients and their families were willing to try almost anything, with or without the consent of the patient. So at this point, having a lobotomy done was about the same as, like, 
go into the gyno. <laughs> Actually, probably going to the gyno was was more stressful than the lobotomy. <laughs> Sounds kind of yeah, crazy, I get but stressed out. <laughs> they really didn't treat women very well in those days. I'm not sure they treated lobotomy patients better, but maybe they had good intentions. We'll see. Another patient, Anna Ruth Channels, suffered from severe headaches and was referred to Dr. Freeman in 1950. He prescribed a transorbital lobotomy. Prescribed or just wanted to just wanted practice to and it. play around <laughs> tickle her brain a little bit. The procedure cured channels of her headaches, but it left her with the mind of a child, according to her daughter, Carol. She had no concept of social graces. If someone was having a gathering at their home, she had no problem with going into their house and just taking a seat, too. I have headaches a lot. I've had them since, like, middle school, so I'm really glad that I wasn't alive in the 1950s because they might have no, lobotomied no. me up. Yeah, you would have gotten a little tap, 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 tap. Little tap, tap, tap. I'm glad you have just Tylenol. Just tap it in. <laughs> yeah, I think I have Tylenol. So, the story I'm about to read is the real shocker for me. It's about Howard Dooley, one of the youngest people to get a lobotomy. He was 12 years old. I got most of my information from, uh, for this part from an NPR interview with Howard Dooley himself. It's emotional to hear him speak, but you can also tell he's a strong man, and I think that's pretty amazing. I'm going to call him Howard in this because I'm talking about his, I also talk about his family and I don't want to get the Dooleys mixed up. Howard's mother died of cancer when he was five years old. His father remarried to Lou Dooley. I don't know her maiden name. They never said. Howard said his stepmother hated him. It was clear to him that she would do anything to get rid of him. According to Freeman's notes in Howard's file, Lou Dooley feared feared her stepson, whom she described as defiant and savage-looking. How can you be savage-looking? Like, would he have a lot of hair and howl at the moon? Like, roar! roar! <laughs> He's a savage. Uh, she also said, he doesn't react either to love or to punishment. His object, his, ugh. he objects to going <laughs> to bed, but then sleeps well. He does a good deal of daydreaming, and when asked about it, he says, Oh no. He turns the room lights on when there's broad sunlight outside. What the fuck? Wait, he got a lobotomy for daydreaming? In broad sunlight! For not turning, turning the, the lights, lights on. on! That's it, Howard! You're getting a lobotomy! You're gonna cut that brain right out of you, Sonny! I don't know why I give her that weird Brooklyn accent. 1950s here. Howard, turn off the damn lights! <laughs> you do it again, it's over. We're calling Dr. Freeman. <laughs> that was great. That was great. Okay, no, where was I? <laughs> so, naturally, Freeman suggested a lobotomy. Wait, what? He didn't recommend drugs first? <laughs> no, no. He just went straight for the tap. Straight tap, tap. for the tap. <laughs> he liked to play with that ice He pick. did, yeah. I'm gonna say it's like it's like Frankenstein's monster. Like he just you have to get this impression that he just wanted to like poke around and see what happened. Yeah, I get that impression too. Absolutely. All right, I'm gonna interrupt for a second and take this heat wrap off my <laughs> <Okay>. neck. <laughs> All right. So where was I? <laughs> Back to the story. Freeman's wait. So no. Freeman pass su- that. Yeah, he suggested a little bottomy. 
Lou said it was up to her husband, but she would have to talk with him and make it stick. Is he a redhead? (laughs) (laughs) Redheaded stepchild. Oh, oh, I know. (laughs) Yeah, because she's really treating him. Because she's really treating him like a redheaded stepchild. Then, on December 3rd, 1960, Mr. and Mrs. Dooley decided to have Howard operated on. Freeman suggested they not tell him. That is fucking insane. Uh, okay. First F-bomb this episode. But seriously, the kid's daydreaming and turning the lights on, and now we're going to cut your head open. Okay, going through your eyeballs. Yeah. And tinker around with your brain, but we're not going to tell you what happened. That is... It's indescribable. Yeah, it's indescribable. It's really awful. Imagine how many times you daydream... How many lobotomies would that be? You know, a lot, a lot. <laughs> I would have really been in trouble in middle school myself. We would both be, middle you school, know. high school, college. We'd be now, <laughs> both be laid out in the nursing home right now, like completely a zombie <laughs> brain. <laughs> uh, okay, Freeman wrote two and a half weeks later after the boy's lobotomy. I told Howard what I'd done to him. He took it without a quiver. He sit quietly, grinning most of the time, and offering nothing. You just imagine him sitting there with, like, this shitty grin. Like, hey, Howard. Hey. hey. So, <laughs> like, you know what I did? I mean, this is a kid. Yeah. Like, I'm sure he didn't even know how to react. So, if I smile at them, they won't be mean to me. Yeah. Yeah. And he just sat there, like, in shock. Well, the I last would, time he was there, he walked out with two black eyes. Tinkered with his brain. Yeah. So, I guess just smile and hope for the best. (laughs) Smile and I just want to go home, man. (laughs) Dooley says that when his stepmother realized the operation didn't turn him into a vegetable, she made him a ward of the state to get him out of the house. Talk about evil. Yeah. Evil stepmother. I mean, why didn't she just do that in the first place? Why did she have to go to fucking with his brain and really messing him up? Just, if you want him gone, just kick him out. You don't have to hurt him. It's just that is for. This is ridiculous. Kind of evil. All right. It took me years to get my life together, said Howard. Through it all, I've been haunted by questions. Did I do something to deserve this? Can I ever be normal? And most of all, why did my dad let this happen? For more than 40 years, Howard Dooley never discussed the lobotomy with his father, even after Lou had died. Howard was afraid that bringing it up would change the love his father had for him. At age 56, Howard finally writes his dad a letter asking if they could sit down and answer his questions. Rodney Dooley agreed. So, how did you find Dr. Freeman? Howard asked. I didn't. She did. She took you. I think she tried some other doctors who said, There's nothing wrong here. He's a normal boy. It was the stepmother problem. My question would be, naturally, why would you let it happen to me if that was the case? Asked Howard. I got manipulated, pure and simple, Rodney Dooley says. I was sold a bill of goods. She sold me and Freeman sold me, and I didn't like it. Rodney goes on to say he only ever met Freeman once, and he told him he had practiced on a carload of grapefruit to get the right move. That's just, that's unbelievable. I mean, this story... I mean, it almost just makes you want to cry. Yeah. This poor kid went through... And the betrayal. You the betrayal from his yeah. dad to just go along for it for some woman. Mm-hmm. 
It's, it's just un- unbelievable. He puts all the blame on Lou, it seems like. It does. He is really deflecting and yeah. downplaying his actions, but he let it happen. Mm-hmm. Like, where was his backbone? Yeah. I mean, clearly he had one thing on his mind, and it was not the care of his son. Yeah. In the interview, Rodney never really says he regrets it, but kind of beats around the bush by saying he doesn't dwell on the negative. Nobody is perfect. Could I Could I have done it over again? Would I have? Hindsight's beautiful. Fifty years later, I can say it's a mistake. So was World War One. Well, talk about gaslighting. Yeah. Howard says, although he refuses to take any responsibility, just sitting here with my dad and getting to ask him about my lobotomy is the happiest moment of my life. I think it was really healing for Howard. He actually wrote a memoir called My Lobotomy, so go check that out because Howard seems like a very strong man. I know I said that earlier, but he just seems like a very strong dude. And it's really emotional to hear him talk about this in his own voice on NPR. And I haven't read his book, but I feel like it would be a really good good emotional book to read. I'm just blown away by, he says, that talking to his dad about his lobotomy was the happiest moment Mm -hmm. of his life. And I think about, you know, things that have happened in my life. You know, getting married, having my child, mm-hmm. all just all the yeah. fun things we've done. And that, that is the happiest moment of his life because I could think of some crazy mundane things that would top that. Yeah. And so to hear that that is the happiest he's ever been, it really makes I you guess. wonder what the rest of his life was like and how mm-hmm. incredibly sad it must have been. It really tells you how much it must have ate at him. For his entire life. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, you really get the feeling when you're listening to this interview that Howard is taking the power back, though. And I really, I love that for him. I can empathize with that. Yeah. I can I can comprehend that, understand it, that that's his mm-hmm. way of taking his power back from these people who stole it from him, essentially. Yeah. He also just seems kind of like a cool dude. He seems funny because... Someone you want to hang out with, have a beer. Yeah, when he was reading his file, he um, got to see the price and he was like, oh, only $200. They got a deal. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, $200 to yeah, crack your skull and yeah. like, poke this thing around your eyeball. Which now would probably easy. 200000 Oh, yeah. $2 million, I don't know. Yeah. An, an insanely ridiculous amount, I'm sure. The price of lobotomies nowadays. <laughs> it's just, I mean, it's just <laughs> going up roof. man. All right, so another patient, Anita McGee, was lobotomized by, lobotomized by freedom for postpartum depression in 1953. After spending most of her life in mental institutions, Anita McGee now lives in a nursing home in Birmingham, Alabama. Anita's daughter, Rebecca Welch, visits her, visits her every week. Welch believes Walter Freeman's lobotomy destroyed her mother's life. I personally think that something in Dr. Freeman wanted to be able to conquer people and take away who they were, Welch says. At a meeting in the nursing home, Welch and Howard find common ground in their experiences with Freeman. It does wonders to know that other people have the same pain, Howard says. Oh, that's so sad. I mean, how sad is it that you would want someone else to have similar pain just to feel normal? I mean, not that he wants other people to have pain but that that is the way he can relate a very specific 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 pain, pain. it's yeah. 
Again, un, unreal. Yeah. I'll never know what I lost in those ten minutes with Dr. Freeman and his ice pick, Howard says. By some miracle, it didn't turn me into a zombie, crush my spirit, or kill me. But it did affect me, deeply. Walter Freeman's operation was supposed to relieve suffering. In my case, it just it did just the opposite. Ever since the lobotomy, I felt like a freak, ashamed. But now after meeting with Welch and her mother, Howard says his suffering is over. I know my lobotomy didn't touch my soul. For the first time, I feel no shame. I am, at last, at peace. You know, I get the impression here that it maybe wasn't even lobotomy that made him feel like the freak. I mean, yeah, that's the event he's associating it with Mm -hmm. um, and all of his negative emotions, but I almost feel like it's not specifically the lobotomy. It's the way he was treated yeah. Where he didn't have a voice and, you know, the way his stepmother treated him, his abandonment by his father, mm-hmm. the betrayal, that it's more than just the ice pick. Yeah. Um, I feel you that know, way, too. I mean, the, it goes farther than the emotional consequences are very clear here. But I wonder about his physical condition. I mean, he seems to be healthy in the pictures that I've seen so did he have any physical issues that you know he never said anything about having any physical problems I don't think he did I think he got lucky and he just I mean but he doesn't articulate he yes he's He's well he wrote a book he wrote a book he has processed these emotions to be Mm -hmm. able to talk about them intelligently so it seems as though he really didn't have a lot of physical consequences like he says who knows what he really lost yeah no idea and we'll never know 10 minutes Mm -hmm. it's just again i keep coming back to that but unreal unbelievable almost i mean it happened so i believe it but a bit unreal that 10 minutes in the doctor's office with an ice pick can have such devastating consequences change your personality yeah especially that young you're still developing Yeah. yeah so and for nothing. Yeah, There's nothing. nothing wrong with she you in the fine. first place. After well over 2,000 operations, Freeman performed his final ice pick lobotomy on a housewife named Helen Mortensen in February of 1967. She died of a brain hemorrhage, and Freeman's career was finally over. Freeman's, Freeman sold his home and spent the rest of his days traveling the country in a camper, visiting old patients, trying desperately to prove that his procedure had transformed thousands of lives for the better. Freeman died of cancer in 1972. And you know, I don't want to imply that Freeman was a bad guy or a good guy. Yeah, that w- that was probably my next question. Do you think he really thought he was helping people? Or do you think he had some kind of God complex? What do you think his mindset was and like his intentions there his i don't know if it was his kid or his grandkid talks in the interview and they say they thought he was you know they thought that he thought he was doing good and i believe Mm -hmm. so that he thought he was doing good at first he started off with good intentions started off with good really wanted to help people and then got to doing it and was like oh this is fun let's poke around see what happens i don't know Exactly. Well, some but of his patients had good perceptions yeah. and experiences with his care. I want to say, I, from what I've read, it seems like it becomes 
an obsession or a passion for him. Like lobotomies makes sense. were his thing. He invented the like transorbital. He started lobotomy. off on this great path. Yeah. With good intentions anyway. And just snowballed and yes. kept going until it went into an area where maybe wasn't the best of ideas. Yeah. Definitely an interesting story. So before we actually let Dr. Freeman retire here and die of cancer, um, we have another story we've had good stories of lobotomies bad stories basically this operation was just extremely crude it turns out you have to be a little more delicate when it comes to the brain imagine that (laughs) i want to end this episode with one more patient rosemary kennedy as in you know the sister of john f kennedy jfk aka president i know him yeah most of us have heard about them So, I want to start with the rumors I heard of Rosemary Kennedy growing up um, before having done any research or really reading into this case, but just listening to older family members um, who were alive during the time period um, that all this happened. Um, From what I'd heard, Rosemary was a bit of a wild child. The Kennedys were the Kennedys. They were... American royalty. Mm-hmm. And at the time, I think the rumor of Rosemary was that she was promiscuous and her parents weren't able to control her and it was interfering with the reputation and perception of the family and hindering their business and political pursuits. Hmm. Um, but during with this case, we're going to find out what really happened. Okay. What really happened? (laughs) Rosemary Kennedy was born in 1918. She was the third child of Joe and Rose Kennedy. During her birth, the obstetrician who was supposed to be delivering her was running late, which is, you know, not uncommon when you're having a baby and everything's happening really fast. Not wanting to deliver the baby without the doctor, the nurse reached up into Rose's birth canal and held the baby in place. This caused a lack of oxygen to her brain and resulted in brain damage with lifelong mental deficiency. Now, this is a part that I had never heard before. Um, Research into intellectual disabilities was not advanced in the 1920s, Stigma against people with intellectual and physical disabilities was widespread. Rose and Joe Kennedy had little advice that they could turn to for how best to raise Rosemary. They decided she would benefit from remaining at home instead of being institutionalized, which is typically what happened to people back then. Joe said, What can they do in an institution that we can't do better for her at home, here with her family? She was sent to public school in her early years, but had difficulty keeping up with other children her age and had to repeat grades. The Kennedys also involved her with regular family routines and activities. Rose called her an affectionate, warmly responsive, and loving girl. She was so willing to try to do her best and so appreciative of attention and compliments and just so hopeful of deserving them. That, you know, kind of stands out to me. Like, she went to public school, mm-hmm. elementary school, young. So, you know, it makes kind of sense where the rumors could have come from, that she appeared normal 
Yeah. Maybe when she was younger, and then this happened when she's older. So that could have helped foster the rumors that yeah, may, may or may not have been true. So Because um, at first you might not realize the severity. Right. And the of, other kids may not know that yeah. she she's what we would now would call special education mm-hmm. um, or something along those lines. So Joe Kennedy was grooming his two oldest sons for a career in politics. Rose and Joe worried that Rosemary's behavior could create a bad reputation, not just for herself, but for the whole family, and eagerly researched for something that would help her. And, you know, that again jumps out. There it is. They maybe had good intentions. They loved their daughter. They wanted Mm -hmm. to take care of her. But also their reputation mattered. And did it matter more than what was best for Rosemary or... What was best for the boys? Were they more concerned with the legacy? Or was it just complicated? It seems like it was complicated, but I mean... And that also could have fostered these rumors. Yeah. That may or may not, again, have been true. So this is when they turned to Dr. Walter Freeman. In 1941... When she was just 23 years old, Rosemary Kennedy received a prefrontal lobotomy. So not the eyeball one, but the one where they drill a hole in the side of your head. The less sophisticated one. It was immediately clear that the operation had drastically failed. Rosemary lost most of her ability to walk and talk. Her personality had forever been altered and she was left physically disabled. After being released from the hospital, Rosemary was immediately institutionalized. Again, I think the rumor fits. You know, if she's disabled, um, people who are disabled or, um, I don't know how to say it, or more severe special ed, they're Mm -hmm. still people and they still have the physical sexual urges just like anyone else, but because of their disability, they don't have the emotional and mental ability to process that. So there is certainly the possibility that there were people in her orbit who took advantage of that. Yeah. And maybe the rumors swirled, you know, back then it was, it was a different time and they would have called her promiscuous rather than the victim that she actually would have been had that been the case. Or her behavior was lewd, lewd, inappropriate, the social cues, That's, you know, certainly a possibility. We, we don't know. We'll never know. But interesting, nonetheless. Mm-hmm. Rosemary spent most of the rest of her life at St. Coletta School for Exceptional Children in Jefferson, Wisconsin. So they shipped her off halfway across the country. Mm-hmm. And, you know, were they... Was it what was best for her? Were they trying to hide her? Were they trying to hide the mistake of the lobotomy for, you know, they want people to think bad on them. That's what I want to lean towards, but you know, that's an awful long way from home for somebody you really care about, but maybe that was the best place in the country for treatment for what she had going on. Who knows? Might've been the best treatment she could have got. I don't know. It's hard to say, but it certainly could fuel rumors that, Mm -hmm. That it was all about their reputation. At the institution, she received personalized attention and therapy, although she was mainly isolated from her family. 
In later years, her family reestablished closer contact with her. In particular, Eunice Kennedy Shriver retained a special bond with her sister. Eunice expanded the philanthropy of the Joseph P. Kennedy Jr. Foundation towards public policy work and research relating to intellectual and developmental disabilities. Inspired by Rosemary, Eunice also founded the Special Olympics in 1968. Other Kennedy family members also worked towards improved care and recognition for those who were disabled. Her mother made speeches bringing attention to those with special needs. Her sister, Jean Kennedy Smith, founded Very Special Arts, an organization to provide art programming for those with disabilities. President John F. Kennedy proposed and signed major legislation to improve care programs for those with intellectual disabilities, the first president to do so. Rosemary Kennedy died from natural causes on January 7, 2005, at the age of 86, with her sisters Jean, Eunice, and Patricia, and her brother Ted by her side. Aww. So, it's another case that didn't quite work out so well. Mm-hmm. Um, it certainly seems like lobotomies were very crude and yes. rudimentary, but as with all things, you have to start somewhere. That's true. And we while do. those cases are incredibly devastating, we now have some amazing brain surgeries that can fix all kinds of issues. I mean, I don't, I don't know about you, but I've seen like documentaries where. You know, they operate on your brain. They literally have your skull open, your brain out, and mm-hmm. they're poking around in there. And you're, like, playing the violin. Yeah. I mean, they want to see what cognitively you're able to do and if they're in the right place and things. And so, you know, those had to start with experiments somewhere. Yeah. You know, we wouldn't be this sophisticated without that crude beginning. That makes me think... Should we be so hard on hard on Freeman, you know? Maybe not. I don't Maybe know. It's not. hard to I say. Know. I mean, you know, there's an ethical boundary, and nobody really knows where it is, right? I mean, mm-hmm. it's, you know, it's complicated. By the way, we have this picture of Rosemary Kennedy uh, before the lobotomy, and I just want people to go to our website and see how, like, vibrant and beautiful and, and like live she, she looks seems before yeah and then we also have a picture of after and i just want to make you sadder <laughs> yeah we want we want to terribly screw up your day make you cry um we'll have we have pictures of several pe- people that we've talked about today on the website um links to more information so yeah check it out and you know let us know in the comments on facebook on the website what do you think you know is it okay to experiment on people yeah for the sake of science um is it not does it depend it's complicated we want to know what you think so hit us up find us on facebook facebook instagram twitter twitter instagram youtube eventually youtube eventually it's in the works um in the meantime we like to feature a charity um at the end of our episodes because we don't want to feel like we're just exploiting or taking advantage of other people's pain for these episodes while we find it fascinating we want to do something to give back and through this platform we thought 
one of the best ways for us to do that would be to feature a different charity at the end of most episodes. So today we're featuring the Special Olympics since the Kennedys started it, ties into the case. Um, I think pretty much everyone at this point has heard of the Special Olympics, Um, but if you are so inclined, head on over to their website at specialolympics.org. You can, there's a really big red button that says donate, so if if you have a little extra money, I don't know, COVID bonus or something (laughs) laying around, um, it would be awesome if you could give, you know, even just $5, $10, every little bit adds up when it's millions of people and if you don't have money they certainly love volunteers so um, they have all kinds of information on their website on how to get involved and what all they do and all of that so the special olympics is our charity for this episode cool i like that thanks for listening it's been another episode of morbidly captivating bye stalkers